Okay, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to um, gather together again. We look forward to the main gathering here in a bit. Um, but Lord, we thank you also for the opportunity to come together and um, discuss uh, the topic of prayer. Um, and Lord, we, we want to be a praying people because it shows our faith, it shows our dependence. And Lord, you answer prayer. And you, you, you act in the world through the means of answering our prayer, Lord, which is amazing reality and a privilege. Lord, we want to pray for Emily's coworker. Um, Lord, there is no doubt that um, there have been many things horrific done under the name of Christianity in the past. And um, Lord, we, we acknowledge those um, and we regret those. But Lord, we pray, uh, we know that the true gospel and those who are truly followers of you, uh, they want to do what is um, right and good, and um, I just pray for uh, further opportunities with um, Emily's co-worker. I pray that some of what she has said and even the, the defense and uh, um, the proclamation of, of, of the true gospel, that those things would sink in. Lord, we pray for other opportunities we might have. Uh, Lord, we pray for open doors. We pray that this week that you would give us um, conversations with uh, neighbors or co-workers or friends or family or just people we happen to encounter um, on our day-to-day -day lives, Lord God, just pray for um, grace to proclaim you um, and to proclaim your death and resurrection. Um, so, Lord, we ask for this. We pray for our time together um, considering prayer. And again, just ask that you would shape us, mold us, and make us a praying people in a praying church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are starting this, this topic of prayer. Um, and... Uh, I don't think anyone would deny uh, that prayer is a central part of a Christian of our Christian walks. It's not accessory, uh, but if you needed some convincing, go to, let's look at a couple couple passages just to start us off. Uh, go to Acts uh, two forty two, and then someone else, if you want to grab um, Colossians four two, uh, but we'll start in Acts two forty two. So this is right after uh, Peter's. Uh, Holy Spirit-inspired sermon on the day of Pentecost and the response of those responding, repenting, being baptized, added to the church uh, in verse 41. And then in verse 42, um, and, and following really, but uh, we're going to just highlight verse 42, you see uh, the, the response. So someone go ahead and read Acts 2.42. Yeah, so this is one of those key verses um, that kind of gives us the trajectory of even what we do, but what the early Christians did as well, right? So they devoted themselves uh, to these things. Apostles' teaching, uh, for us, that's really the, I mean, the whole of the scriptures, but especially the New Testament. Um, and the fellowship, or uh, this idea of, of um, a fellowship in the New Testament is not just hanging out, but it is a partnership in the gospel. Um, to the breaking of bread, which is probably a reference to the Lord's Supper, the sign of the new covenant, and uh, the prayers. Um, and so we see that there's a devotion to prayer. And you can look further into Acts and how the early church was praying uh, diligently, uh, boldly, um, in, in a variety of ways. But you see it there. Uh, let's look at Colossians 4.2 as well. Okay. 
Okay, so what does that say? Continue steadfast. You know, you get the idea of steadfastness. It's like you're, you're rooted to the spot. Um, kind of a, you know, kind of at least the English word for us. Continue steadfastly in prayer, uh, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So um, this is part of the Christian life. Uh, and yet, um, if I was to ask a question to you or to our church or to just even any, any Christian I might encounter, if I was to ask a question, how do you think your prayer life is going? I would bet that a lot of people would say, well, it's not, not what it should be or not what I think it ought to be or definitely room for improvement. Um, so uh, we, don't, um, we acknowledge that. It's supposed to be central to the Christian life. It's supposed to be key to who we are. Um, so even as we start this, and before we even jump into what we're going to do today, which is start to define prayer, what do you think some of the hindrances to prayer are? Why do we struggle with it? Okay, what do you mean? Develop that. Okay. Okay, yeah. So you've got this choice of each and every day, am I going to spend X amount of time in prayer, or am I going to spend that same amount of time going about my business, right? So there's a choice there, right? Why do you think we would choose uh, or, or tend to going about our business versus spending time in prayer? What do you think is behind that? Okay. Keep going. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So other things are tangible. We can't see God. We, we know Christ has a human body right now. He is, he is human. He's the one mediator at the right hand of God. So we know he's there. But yeah, it is um, in, we don't see him. Um, Peter talks about that. Um, you believe in him, but you don't see him right now. You love him, but you don't see him right now. So, the, um, so even going back to Julie's thing about being busy, right? I can tangibly see when I'm going to affect something. I'm going to go about my business. I'm going to do stuff, right? That's tangible, but praying to God feels intangible. And, you know, maybe if we were honest, sometimes it feels like a waste of time. Um, at least I can see my results from what I do about going about my business, right? Um, so that might be part of it. What else? What other hindrances? Um, uh, yeah, Patricia, and then we'll come back to Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to focus, and especially coupling that with even what Lance said of, uh, we don't see the Father, uh, we don't see the Son right now, we don't see the Spirit, but um, we know they're real, but it, it takes effort. It's um, for us to focus, um, for us to legitimately communicate with God. Okay, Tony. I think it's kind of encoded here in uh, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Hmm. And I think a lot of times we expect God to do something for us. Mm. He doesn't, quote, unquote. Mm. Therefore, we kind of abandon okay. that approach. And I'm, I'm thinking kind of like the children of Israel in Exodus, where, you know, all this stuff is happening. God's doing all this wonderful stuff, but it's not like they want. Right. That's a good point. So, like, when we come to the Lord in prayer, like, um, there could be this issue of, is it, you know, 
you could treat God like the vending machine, right? I want to get what I want. I put in prayer and I get out what I want. Oh, I don't get what I want, so therefore I'm not going to go to prayer. Um, versus, well, what's what's actually setting the agenda? Are you setting the agenda, or is God setting the agenda? Right. So that that's that's definitely uh, hindrance. A lot of what you've touched on, right? It, it comes down to um, our selfishness, our pride, um, and and so that's why it's hard, right? Is your it's a way. It is a it is something we do that is antithetical to our natural state of of the flesh. Um, so, so, um, a lot of the things you're hitting on are, are getting at that. Any other hindrances to prayer? Yeah, Genevieve. Okay. Yeah. Habit is a, is, you know, habits are a, a huge God given advantage. Uh, they're supposed to be habits can, um, either help us or hurt us. But the nice thing is, once you form a habit, it's easier to stick in it. That's just how God's created us, right? And so if we haven't developed the habit, well, now you have to do the work, the on-ramp uh, um, of in- integrating that into your life um, and figuring, figuring that out. So, yeah, good. Good. So these are good answers. Um, what, what we want to do is we want to grow in this. Um, you know, if you were to think about one of the marks of a healthy church, it would be as a praying church. Um, we'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, but prayer does change things. Now, we know and we believe in God's sovereignty, so we know God's decreed everything that's going to happen, and so sometimes we can use that as an excuse to say, well, it doesn't matter if I pray or not. But what we see, not only with prayer, but also things like evangelism, is God ordains the means as well as the ends. And so whether you're talking about evangelism or whether you're talking about prayer... God does really respond. God does really answer. And so um, as we think about being the church that he wants us to be, we really want to grow in prayer because God really does answer, and we want to be aligned with him and going where he's going. Now, the way we want to start this is um, we're actually going to start at ground zero, and let's define prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about doing that. Uh, Maybe you think, of course I know what prayer is. But I don't know if you've ever just kind of paused and uh, tried to think and actually define, based on the scriptures, based on what the, the, the scriptures tell us, what is prayer? How would, you, how, how would you answer that? Someone asks you, you know, like maybe a new Christian, maybe even an unbeliever or something like that. What, what is prayer? How does it work? How would you define that? Yeah, Susan. Okay. So it's an act of worship, okay? What do you mean by an act of worship? Okay. 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 Okay, good. So you picked up on a lot of things there, right? You picked on the, the exclusiveness of, of God, and it's a, it's a, it's a, dedic- a form of dedication to him, you also mentioned something. It's communication, right? You're communicating um, with God, and that entails different forms of communication. Um, you know, supplication, adoration, thanksgiving, um, these sorts of things. Good. Uh, yeah, uh, Julie. Yeah. 
Yes. Okay, so it's, it's trust, right? So there's this element of what's, what's the attitude on your part that's a component of the whole prayer package. So we're thinking about this idea of defining prayer. What does it mean? Uh, biblically, what does it mean? Uh, anything else that you would kind of add? Humility. Yeah, humility, which is what Julie was just saying. Absolutely, Bruce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's really important is the idea of there's a response aspect to prayer. Uh in terms of where is God going um and what is God doing? Uh, and how do I respond to that? Um, so there's a response element there. Well, that's good. Let's, you've hit on a lot of um, the uh, you know, key aspects of prayer. So what we're going to do over the next couple weeks is we're just going to calibrate uh, a lot of what we've, uh, what's already been said. But we're going to calibrate by going about and defining how does the Bible itself define prayer? Uh, how do we calibrate and make sure our notions of prayer are what the um, Bible's notions of prayer are? So uh, here's my... Uh, way that uh, I think it would be helpful to do this. Uh, first, what's the first prayer in the Bible? Because if you un- can, are you able to identify what the first prayer is, uh, then when that shows up, something significant happens. So we're going to try to look at that today. The second thing we're going to try to do, um, even though there are multiple ways of the Bible talking about pr- uh, using different language to express prayer. So you could use the word prayer, or you could use calling on the name of the Lord, you could, there's all these different phrases, even as down to the very mundane, um, God, um, um, so-and-so said to God. Um, all these different ways of expressing the idea of prayer, but let's start with the most explicit terminology, the actual kind of most uh, uh, definite terminology for prayer, and let's see and look at passages that really help us to understand uh, with that explicit terminology for prayer, what we can find out about prayer, okay? So that's how we're going to proceed. Let's talk about the first prayer. Okay, so where is the first prayer in the Bible? Pop quiz. Very good. You get the gold star. Uh, <laughs> go to Genesis 4. Um, and we're actually, let's go ahead and actually read 425 and 26. Um, so we'll go ahead and read Genesis 425 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. There it is, right at the end there. At that time, 
people began to call on the name of the Lord, which is one of the ways in Scripture that um, it's the idea of invoking God. Invoking, in this case, you see the capital L-O-R-D, so that means God's personal name, Yahweh, um, uh, in prayer. Doesn't tell us what the prayer is, it just says that this is when people started it. Now, that actually tells us a fair amount uh, in context, okay? Uh, is this the first time that people have been communicating with God? No. Uh, give me some examples of where people have already been communicating with God. Yeah. Yeah. So he. So we see. Um, we say Adam and Eve communicate with God, um, but that communication is not considered prayer. You see how this works, right? If the first prayer is in Genesis 4.26, then anything that is prior to it can't be, um, can't be considered prayer. So here we make a distinction that just be communication with God does not entail prayer necessarily. Just because you're talking with God doesn't necessarily mean that you're praying to God. There's a difference. And that's one of the reasons we go to something like this and identifying the first prayer it helps us define, okay, then what is it? It's definitely communication, but it's got to be more than that. Uh, there's just other examples. Yeah. Well, at least uh, in this case, it's the narrator Moses. He's telling us that this is. Um, he just says that this is the time after Enosh is born, for whatever reason, that people started calling on the name of the Lord. Well, that's the very question, right? So we start with the reality that, um, you know, you could start with that question of, okay, calling on the name of the Lord, is that prayer? I would argue it is. Some people would say, well, it's just worship. But the problem with even saying, well, it's just worship, that doesn't work either because Cain and Abel worship um, earlier on in the chapter by sacrificing. Um, someone could say, well, it's the first use of God's personal name, Yahweh. That doesn't work either because Eve used God's personal name, Yahweh. So all of those factors, together with as you look through the rest of the scope of Scripture, even though this is a way, not the only way, but this is a way to talk about calling on the name of the Lord. So basically, by process of elimination, Moses is saying, here's when it started. The next question is, so we believe in you know, the inerrancy of Scripture, we believe in what um, the authority of Scripture, so we believe, okay, Moses is telling us, Prayer started here, but that grates against some preconceived notions of what we already think prayer is. If we were just to define prayer as communication, I mean, that's a very natural thing to do. It's no doubt that prayer is communication with God, but uh, what this is saying is, well, we had some communication with God prior to this, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, or at least eight, uh, Cain talks with God um, kind of immediately, uh, but even that is not considered calling on the name of the Lord and prayer. So what this does for us is now it prompts the question that Rachel's asking was, well, what is prayer then? If it's not only communication, if it's more than communication, then what's that extra plus? What is it that really defines what prayer, which is the rest of the investigation? We're not going to discern like all the aspects of, well, what prayer is and isn't from this verse. We're just teasing out a few conclusions. Okay, uh, I don't remember who's here, so we'll go Susan and then Julie.
Right. So there's this, I mean, like you can, th- so let's even take the example of Cain. Cain talks to God. Very clear. He talks with God. Adam and Eve talk with God. But then if you go back and kind of look at, well, how are they talking with God? Why are they talking with God? Uh, that begins to say, well, just, just talking at, at God. I mean, Cain, um, you know, why have you done this to me? Uh, I'm going to be an outcast. Like the way he talks um, is not prayerful, evidently, because that's not the first prayer. doesn't start until after the birth of Enosh. There's more to it even than that, and it, it flows from how Genesis is developing and the plot is developing. We remember Genesis 3.15, there's this promise of the serpent-crushing seed of the woman who's going to basically reset things back to the way they were started in the garden and after. Uh, and so there's this focus in Genesis on, well, who's, who's, this, who's this male offspring going to be? Uh, and what happens earlier on in the chapter of chapter 4 is you've got Cain's line, and Cain's line's a disaster. Um, it, it's a mess. Uh, there's uh, Lamech is uh, a, um, a polygamist and a murderer, um, in addition to being Cain being a murderer. Um, and so it kind of traces his line, and it's a disaster. But then at the end, right in 425, um, we get the switch back to um, what is the, the appointed line going to be. So uh, Seth is, uh, there's a play on... There's a lot of play, especially early on um, in, well, even later on in Genesis, on different names, and that happens here. Seth's name means appointed, uh, and there's a play on that idea. So this is the appointed offspring. In other words, the line's going to go through this one. And to Seth, also a son was born. His name was called Enosh. Enosh basically kind of means like something like vapor. Um, and so there's this kind of idea, but then, and only then, so it's not... Um, does it say that people began to call on the name of the Lord? Now, why do you think in the scope and plot of Genesis developing so far, why do you think this might be a good time for people to start prayer? Right. There are more of them. There's murder. Yeah. Yeah. And what else? There's this promise. There's this promise like, Eve gets all excited about Cain because she thinks, hey, this is the guy. She thinks it's going to happen right away, right? And then Cain and Abel happens, and then Seth is born. Great, this is the appointed one. And then there's really no elaboration on Seth's life. It's just said that he gives birth to Enosh. And then people start praying. So some, if we look at the surrounding context, I mean, it's not explicit, but it does seem like people are looking, they're anticipating God's promise, they're waiting for it to happen, they think it's going to happen pretty quick, and then all of a sudden people start to realize, ooh, this is going to take some time. Um, And so it seems like that's probably some of the impetus for the first prayer. Okay, Julie. Well, it's just, um, I'm, tr- <coughs> excuse me, I'm trying to differentiate between mere communication and what is prayerful communication. And at least what we see here is, um, if you look back at what Adam and Eve say and what Cain says, um, there's, you know, just to give some hints of where we're going, uh, there's not necessarily requests being made by them. Um, 
and then even the ones that maybe are like with Cain, they're not they're not done with devotion, right? They're not done with the right kind of heart behind it. Uh, but then even another key aspect of what we're seeing is that there's when I would argue that there's there's enough here to kind of give us the clue that people are starting to realize that uh, we really want God's promise to happen, but it's not. But we're going to start invoking him to do what he's promised to do. And if you were to start even looking through the prayers of scripture, that's kind of the key core of prayer. Like if you want to, I wouldn't call it a a full definition of prayer, but it is a key core of, um, of prayer is calling on God to do what he's promised to do. This goes back even to what you know, um, Bruce was saying, uh, and a couple of you were saying uh, a little while ago, right, is what's God's agenda? And then how do you get in line with that agenda, right? Uh, and then there's this reality of, okay, here's God's agenda, promise of the serpent crushing seed of the woman, um, but it's not happening. So then, but we got this promise and we want it to happen, so then this idea of longing and calling on God to do what he's promised to do, response. Uh, based on God's promise. God started the conversation. God gave the first promise. Um, and so there's this, this response to that. Now, there's more, more we can say and will say about what prayer is. But at the very least, um, what I'm trying to get at here by looking at the first prayer is not all communication with God is considered prayer. There's more to it. Uh, and again, this is just calibrating our thoughts on prayer. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Yes, very good. So that's another aspect here is really uh, prayer is a consequence of the fall. Don't get me wrong. Prayer is good, right? But one of the other implications that we see here is prayer isn't uh, a part of the fall. In other words, what you just pointed out, Bruce, is the initial state in Eden, right? There, and, and there's hints of this in the text, right? There is direct face-to-face interaction in God's presence with God. That is absolutely desirable, right? Um, God is the life giver. He is the most um, wonderful and glorious and beautiful being. And so communing with him, enjoying him uh, face-to-face in his presence is the desirable thing. And that's even as we see the plot of, of Genesis and the rest of Scripture really develop, that's what we are aiming at. Uh, we want to be in the Holy of Holies. We want to be back in, well, for you know the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because there's face-to-face, unmediated interaction with God. So, another implication for prayer is that prayer is a, uh, it's a consequence of the fall, and it's a consequence of distance. Distance from God's presence. Um, here, and this kind of leads us into uh, the second kind of turn we're going to take um, in terms of uh, looking at prayer. Let's look at explicit 
prayer terminology. So we could look at phrases like calling on the name of the Lord. We could trace that through, and that's totally legitimate. But I want to go back to, all right, what is, let's look at the word that's most used explicitly for prayer, and let's just see what we can pick up. That's kind of the idea. Now, uh, the, starting in the Old Testament, uh, the primary word for prayer indicates intercession. Now, as soon as you indicate the idea of intercession, uh, what ideas, what, what concepts go along with the idea of intercession? There you go. There's a problem, right? If you have intercession, you have a problem, right? Because otherwise, there don't. It kind of goes back to what we we're just talking about with distance. So, uh, the word for prayer is it's used one of kind of two ways in the sense of intercession. Either you're interceding on behalf of someone else. So like the Israelites will come to a prophet or they'll come to Moses and say, hey, pray for us. Meaning, you know, Moses or the prophet or whoever is supposed to intercede on Israel's behalf. They're not going to prayer, but someone else is going to pray for them. Or it's used, um, the word is used um, for one's praying Someone else just praying for themselves. In other words, you're interceding for yourself before God. But in any case, it's that idea of intercession. There's distance and trouble after the fall, because of the fall, and so there's this need for intercession um, with God. Uh, now, let's start with, we're continuing with this kind of spatial idea with prayer. When prayer is heard, which is what we want, when we pray to God, we want that heard. Uh, there are multiple indications, both Old and New Testament, that when prayer is heard, it's said to enter God's heavenly temple. So I want to show you a few of those. Go to 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, um, Solomon has just um, Solomon has just completed the temple after seven years' construction, and the temple's being dedicated, and he gives this very long and very um, profound and beautiful prayer. Um, we're not going to read all of it, this morning at least. But um, let's back up, uh, let's, do, let's pick it up in 1 Kings eight forty-eight through 49. I'm just going to give you a snippet, and I'm going to pick out um, one aspect of this that we'll see in other passages as well. 1 Kings 8, 48, 49. First Kings eight, forty-eight through forty-nine. So I return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who have taken them captive, and pray to you toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name. Then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain Okay, where is prayer heard? In heaven, right? Which again kind of gives us that sense of distance. Uh, God was on earth dwelling with man at the beginning, right? Fellowshipping uh, with man. But now God is in heaven in uh, what the scriptures will, will repeatedly identify as, as a heavenly sanctuary. Uh, and that's where prayer is heard. Um, it's heard in heaven. 
Um, you can see this, uh, if you think, there's other places you see this idea, uh, Jonah 2.8, we don't have to turn there, but Jonah's in the belly of the fish, and he prays, and he asks for his prayer to be heard in heaven. Um, so again, there's a spatialness to prayer. Uh, you can see this in Second Chronicles um, 30. This one's more interesting even because it's the, uh, it's the, uh, the narrator. So every time, any time when you've got in the Bible the narrator saying something, you absolutely know it's true. Because the narrator is being under the influence of the Holy Spirit saying stuff, right? So if you get someone's, if the, if the narrator's quoting someone else, that doesn't necessarily mean that what the person said quoted is reliable. <laughs> but the narrator is always reliable. So what's interesting in this, uh, 2 Chronicles, uh, this is in the time of David. They're talking about establishing the temple and getting things set, um, at least pre preparing for Solomon to start the temple. Um, oh, I'm sorry, this is Hezekiah's time, my bad. Um, 2 Chronicles 30, uh, 27 says this, um, Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Again, prayer is heard when it's heard in heaven. But, and that's good, but there's a sense of distance to that. You could go to the last book of the Bible. You could go to Revelation. Go to Revelation. Um, Revelation 8. Three and four. Someone go ahead and read that. Okay, good. So we're in heaven. Uh, where else are we? Not just in heaven, but what's kind? Of, what's that? Throne room. And not only that, what other kind of uh, what's where's the, what kind of furniture do we have? The altar, which means we're in the heavenly temple, which every like every other temple that happens on earth, a legitimate temple, I should say, every other legitimate temple that happens on earth is just a uh, a model, uh, and really kind of the idea in scripture is a portal between the um, the earthly temple and the heavenly temple. Or here's another way of describing it. God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. So God's presence manifested on the Ark of the Covenant like where God's resting his feet, right? There's this connection. Uh, but here, at least in Revelation, what we see is we're in heaven, we're in the heavenly temple. What is associated with prayer here? What furniture and what temple items? Incense. Uh, so if you remember in the uh, tabernacle in the temple, there's this little altar of incense before, right near the Holy of Holies in the temple furniture. And the priests, uh, you can look at, the, we're not going to go there, but um, uh, the priests twice a day were supposed to offer up a sacrifice and then go in and offer incense twice a day in the morning and at night. And those times became the hours of prayer. Uh, you can see this in Luke 1.10. Uh, remember Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's dad? He goes in as the priest on duty, and it talks about him offering the sacrifice 
at the hours of prayer. Uh, or even in Acts, when it talks about the after Jesus has come and um, ascended into heaven, they are hanging around the temple, and they're going there around the hours of prayer. Uh, even in Solomon's prayer that we just, that we just uh, referenced not that long ago, uh, Solomon talks in his, his, his whole prayer of people praying towards Jerusalem and praying towards the land and praying towards the temple. Why is that? Because there's this idea that the temple is where God's presence dwells on earth. And so if you want to be as close to God's presence with your communication uh, that you can, uh, then you pray towards the temple. So there's a couple things I want, just to summarize, I want a couple things I want you to see. Uh, the idea of prayer is subsequent to the fall. It's a result of distance from God. When God does hear prayer, he hears it in heaven. And people, in their posture and their spatial orientation in prayer, pray towards the temple, because the temple is really kind of a portal between heaven and earth um, and praying towards God. Okay, now let me pause there. Uh, how does that uh, strike you? Because it's a different way of starting to think about um, prayer. But I'm just trying to highlight this is, this is we're not done. There, we're we're going to carry on more next week in defining all of what prayer is. But I'm just trying to give you some of the, 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 the beginning thoughts of what are we actually doing when we pray. Um, so what, uh, how does this strike you? <coughs> Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a leaning towards that. That's a good word. Um, there's longing in prayer, right? There's a recognition of distance that is undesirable and a longing, right, to, to be, I mean, the better case would be to be face-to-face, -face, unmediated access talking with God. Uh, but in lieu of that... Um, and in recognition of this kind of spatial distance, at least how it's conceived and conceptualized in the Bible, uh, you're leaning towards God's presence as much as you can, uh, and you're, you're wanting your prayer to ascend before God like incense in heaven. You want him to smell it. You want him to, to pay attention to it um, in all of that. Okay, what else? Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Yes, he is. He is. Oh, yes, good. So, and that's a, that's another thing that we haven't gotten to yet. But that is, uh, you you look at the references of prayer. There's often a mediator and an intercessor. So, like Moses or like a prophet or somebody. We pray towards Christ because we know he's the, our mediator in heaven. Absolutely. But let's. There's another implication we can draw. If in general you pray, it, and, and I don't want to paint the picture that you exclusively pray in the Old Testament towards the temple. There's plenty of examples of. You know, you're out in the middle of wherever praying, and that's legitimate. However, there's like, there's like a longing and a leaning in, to use Eden's word, towards the place of God's special presence on earth. Where would that be now in the New Covenant era? Bingo, right? Uh, this is why one of the reasons the church is to be um, dedicated towards prayer, is the, ch the church, the people, the stones, come together, they assemble, and are... We're actually going to have two gatherings today. We're going to have 
the main gathering of the service, and then we're going to have the gathering in the members' meeting. But in any ca- either case, right, there, that is the local temple assembling on earth, and so a big part of where we pray, uh, God's presence is manifest in a special way, we pray towards an earthly temple. So you sometimes hear people say, well, you don't need a space to pray. Well, that's in general true, right? God, uh, you, 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 you pray wherever, and you pray because of Christ, but there is uh, the recognition in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there is a special place of God's presence on earth. Um, and so there is an absolutely uh, legitimate spatialness um, towards praying in the New Covenant era in the church. Uh, any questions on that? That's a key, key concept. Yeah, Susan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and I don't want to dis... You're absolutely right, right? So we are individually indwelt as a temple. So we are closer in the New Covenant era to God than Old Testament saints were because of God's indwelling presence. Absolutely. But even the Old Testament saints, they, uh, they, they would... Um, they would there, there's instances where you can point to they're praying apart from the temple, not even towards it. So that was legitimate then, too. Um, but it's more about shifting our focus. We don't pray towards Jerusalem now uh, because that's, uh, we don't pray towards, well, there is no temple there right now, but if there were, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily pray that direction. Um, instead, the spatial orientation is, if there is one, is towards um, the church um, because of, of, of not only the indi- individual indwelling presence, but the corporate indwelling presence that happens when we gather together. Um, those, that's a both and, right? There's the individual indwelling presence and then that corporate aspect of the Holy Spirit being manifested when we gather together. So, Of course. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're not talking, we're talking um, emphasis, not exclusion, right? Um, that, that's, uh, that's what we're saying here. So good that you picked up on that. All right. Well, let's pause there for this morning. Hopefully that gets your mind thinking a little bit, um, and recalibrating on prayer. So what do we, as we go through this, um, one of the things I want us to do is to practice what we're, prayer is practical, right? (laughs) Like you do it. Um, so what we're going to do is I want a couple people to close us in prayer this morning. And I want you to pray for, along these lines. Pray for grace to understand what prayer is so that we can pray better. Uh, pray for our study of prayer that would help us be a praying church. And then pray longing for God's presence, looking forward to the kingdom of the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, hopefully you heard those things. Pray for grace to understand what prayer is so that we can pray better. Pray for the study of prayer that would help us be a praying church. Pray longing for God's presence, looking forward to the kingdom of the new heavens and the new earth, longing for God's presence. So can I have two people volunteer to pray and close us? Tony? Uh, Maybe a lady. Someone else, a lady pray for us. All right, Genevieve. So Genevieve, why don't you start us, and then Tony, you can close us.